It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game. Beat off the line by Steph Horton. Including the Women's Super League. Ellen White is there. And the Euro 2021 qualifiers. On the edge of the area to Emsley, and Emsley's going to finish it off. World-beating big match conversation. There's Jodie Taylor. On the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scores! Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. Hello, good evening and welcome to this Women's Football Weekly special. I'm Faker Others and over the next hour we'll be focusing on the organisation Women in Football and the part it plays in developing and supporting women across the sport. You'll hear from Women in Football co-founder, board member and now Women's Sports ed- Editor for The Telegraph, Anna Kessel and Women in Football CEO, Jane Purden. We'll of course discuss the ramifications of the FA's decision to terminate the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship seasons with immediate effect and and hear the thoughts of Brighton manager Hope Powell as well. It's a packed show. Thanks for being with us. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Hi, I'm Gemma Bonner and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Happy Monday, everybody. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. And what an absolute exciting show we have for you this week as well. For anyone who doesn't know, Women in Football is a network of professionals working in and around the football industry who share professional expertise, challenge discrimination and celebrate the achievements of women in the industry. And I'm absolutely delighted to have two super women on the show for you today. Uh, Jane Purden, your CV is absolutely insane. I have to tell everybody this first of all. Qualified lawyer, head of governance and leadership at UK Sport formerly, previously with the Premier League and club secretary at Sunderland, now CEO of Women in Football. It's a delight to have you on. How are you? Hi, Faye. Thanks so much. It's it's great to be here and I'm well, thank you. I needed to take a big breath before reading all of that out. Anna Kessel, you're not far behind either. Anna Kessel, MBE, in fact. Women's Sport Editor at The Telegraph, author and, of course, co-founder and former chair of Women in Football as well. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for having us, Faye. I know what you're both like as well. You'll have hated that big up intro too, but we never <laughs> celebrate each other enough, as we all know. Uh, now, before we go into everything about women in football, big news today we've got to discuss because the FA have confirmed the Women's Super League and Women's Championship seasons will end with immediate effect, as we expected. Promotion and relegation hasn't been decided yet, though. A number of ideas apparently been sent to the full FA board uh, for discussion. Uh, Anna Castle, with your women's sport editor hat on was this the right decision oh that's a hard one to answer i mean obviously in terms of the current resource that's available to women's football this was the inevitable answer um but does that make it the right answer i'm not sure um it's interesting that most of the clubs and overwhelmingly the players um, felt happy with this decision. They were worried about returning and and the safety issues um, and and resource really to make it safe. But it's interesting that um, Liverpool, I've seen, have just put out a statement this evening um, and that there's just a hint of dissent there um, with them talking about, you know, that they were prepared to return to football. They felt that they were equipped to do it, um, which is interesting because most clubs have sort of talked about that concern about resource and have also highlighted that they had a third of games still to be played. Mm. Uh, Let's remember that, you know, WSL hasn't played since February now. 
Yeah, they haven't played since February. There, there is a question over this um, uh, potential option of a weighted points per game decision to decide the sporting outcome of the season. And of course, uh, Chelsea, for example, would therefore win the league if that was what they decided to do. But I mean, they haven't played every team in the league because they've not faced Everton yet. Well, that's exactly it. And it, it's so tight at the top. I think that's one of the, the saddest things, really. You know, this was such a big season for the WSL, biggest ever domestic crowds um, in this era, um, a real sense of excitement and progress. And just to cut it dead at the, at the point where, you know, so tight at the top, Chelsea, Arsenal and Man City all vying for a finish, uh, very different to the men's Premier League situation. Um, it seems very, very sad that that it couldn't be completed yeah absolutely jane purdon from a governance point of view i mean it's very difficult position unprecedented you know times we're in as we keep saying um from the fa's point of view were they kind of damned if they did damned if they didn't i think anna's absolutely right it was a very difficult decision personally i think it's probably a sensible one because player safety has to come first and if that can't be guaranteed then there's no point trying to continue but even though it might be the sensible decision, it's a, it's a decision that nobody's going to welcome because we all wanted this wonderful season with the record crowds and real breakthrough presence of the national women's game um, to continue and to finish and to hopefully finish in, in, in triumph and glory. And, and that's not to be. Um, damned if they did, damned if they didn't. Again, I do. I think it was a very difficult decision, but I can see why they've made it. And and I think the focus now has to be on making sure that we prepare properly for the start of next season, and that resources concentrated on that and on that critical question of of making it safe for the players to to come back for their pre-season training and to get the games on. You you can only grow a game when you play it. That's critical here. And everybody understands why football has stopped. The world has bigger problems right now. But Project Restart has to extend to the women's game as much as the men's. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that certainly in, in a second, Jane, uh, because interestingly, the, the points that you just made have been echoed by Brighton manager Hope Powell. She's been speaking exclusively to Talk Sport and says the health and safety of players and staff is the most important thing it's a sensible thing to do. We're not in a position where we can perhaps test players every two days. We haven't got the capacity of pitches. Um, so we, we have to be really sensible and, and think about the person before we think about the sport. The cost to get, you know, the testing equipment, the PPE equipment, you know, the medical staff in place to support, to support the women's game and get all of those things and the protocols in place is a huge cost that nobody could have ever foreseen. And while, you know, there's money at the moment being lost in the game, this is just an added burden that perhaps the, the game can't afford right now. And I think everybody would recognise that. Um, and as I say, go back to the, the, the health, the well-being of, of players and staff. So that is the paramount, paramount. And if budgets can't, if we can't find the budgets given the climate that we're in, you know, we can't really put the blame on anybody for that. It is what it is and we have to accept it. So that was uh, Brighton manager Hope Powell there giving her thoughts on the cancellation of the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship seasons with immediate effect that was confirmed uh, today. Finance always seems to come to the heart of all of these uh, discussions. A lot of talk from the FA and from the Premier League about support for the women's game. Yet I think what a lot of people are upset about is there's actually been no financial support during COVID-19. So, Jane Purden, do they need to start putting their money where their mouth is, uh, so to speak? You mentioned their project restart and that women's football has to be um, spoken about when you're talking about project restart. Well, I think all the reasons why people backed women's football and have invested, it, invested in it over the past 12 to 24 months are still valid and they're still going to be valid when all this is over. And as we know, clubs, the FA, commercial partners, media broadcasters have backed it, have invested in it. And it was just, unfortunately, not yet at a point where it was, in financial terms, washing its face. We knew it was on the journey to, to get there. We knew it was on that, that path. We knew that might take a few years yet, but there was a clear roadmap to get there. So I think what I would say to people is we need to get back on that roadmap quickly, as quickly as we can. Again, being sensible and ensuring player and staff safety first. 
Um, and I think I think the FA today have said they'll certainly be looking at the the all the challenges, operational and financial, that surround bringing the the WSL and the Championship back. And I hope they do so. I, I'm always it, it's so difficult these conversations, maybe because Faye, because I'm always mindful, you know, in the men's game, the EFL has huge financial problems. Mm. Premier League clubs are not immune from this. We've seen Manchester United announce a COVID-related hit on revenue of £28 million just at the end of March because that was the reporting period they were commenting on. It'll have grown since then. Mm. So um, the short answer to your question is yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't live in an ideal world where it's easy to say, come on, everybody, spend some money. We've got to keep on it, keep working together which is how women's football was was growing in the first place. A lot of people from all across football working together. And again, I would encourage them. The reasons why you did that, they're still going to be there. If anything, they're going to be more important than than ever. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that, Jane, because Anna, um, resources is is, is key. Um, we actually were asking um, our listeners uh, whether or not terminating the WSL and championship seasons will set the women's game back. The poll came back with 45.7% saying yes, 54% saying no, which is exactly what Jane w- was just saying. So Anna Kessel, what, what do you think? Will it set progress back? I think there's a there's a very real danger that it might do. You know, what we've seen a lot of during this pandemic, and not just in football, is that anything to do with equality quickly falls away in a time of a crisis. Um, it's, you know, we've seen it in other sports too. Let the men go first. There are financially compelling reasons to let the men go first and the women can follow afterwards. The same thing's happening in cricket right now. That's a worrying stance to take at a point of crisis. If you don't, you know, are we up for equality or not? Um, and the, the stark uh, landscape at the moment is that we're not. We are unequal. Um, and what are the ramifications of that? If you don't have women's football restarting and you do have men's football restarting, does that mean then that women are going to not be able to access training grounds, for example, because the men have to get in first? And we've seen that in cricket. You know, uh, the England men's bowlers have returned to Lords. Um, and, and the women are not. And the same thing could happen potentially in football. So I think what we need to see is, as Jane highlighted very quickly, is this kind of roadmap of how we're going to make sure that women are not going to be put second best. Um, because at the moment, it does look worryingly like they are. And, and we have seen that it is possible in other countries to keep women alongside men in the same in the way that they're doing in the Bundesliga. So the women are returning to play in the top tier this Thursday, in fact, um, with a sort of... Um, whole financial um, funding scheme to help women uh, pay for, women's clubs pay for those tests and we're also seeing in the US the NWSL players are returning to group training um, from today so yes it is possible and I guess the question is why are we not able to make it happen here? Well that's a really interesting point you make Anna because I'm a very positive person I like to find solutions not problems and I had a very interesting discussion earlier on on our sister station Talk Sport I was on the drive time show Um, with Adrian Durham and with no decision yet made on the conclusion of the FA Cup he actually came up with a really good idea because um, COVID-19 suspended the leagues at the quarter-final stage of the FA Cup. He says this would be a great opportunity to salvage at least something from the women's game and give it a boost and put it up at the same level as perhaps the Premier League and the Championship are in terms of being able to play some games. And he wants the FA to hold a week-long tournament to basically conclude the Cup. So it would be four quarter-finals over two days, two semi-finals, two days later and then a final after that what are your thoughts on that I love that idea. It's brilliant. It's exactly it's exactly the sort of creative, innovative thinking that we need at this point um, to keep women's football in the public eye at a time where we're all in lockdown. You know, we, we, <laughs> we're dying for, for we're, we're, sorry, we're desperate, I should say, um, for live sport. And um, I, I think it's, it's a brilliant, inspired idea. Yeah, I would agree with you, Jane. I love it too. I think one of the ideas we've we've kicked around between us 
and I'm sure we're not alone in thinking this, is that in some ways, some ways, it's easier to get a women's game on a WSL game than a Premier League, certainly if you're going to have spectators there, because the crowds are smaller, it's a, it's just a smaller event, you need fewer staff there, etc. And it's a bit like when you open a new stadium, you have a series of kind of ramp up events where you allow in smaller crowds just to, just to kind of test everything. Um, and I'd love to see women's football in some way come back being played live in that way, maybe before we start to see stadiums holding 30, 40, 50,000 people like we do in the Premier League and, and actually like we did one, you know, a few times last season in, in the WSL. So some kind of really impactful tournament or festival um, like that, I think would work really well. Yeah, I think it would also give the media and broadcasters something to really focus on as well. Yeah, and that's we all need so that. Important. Uh, that's crucial. I mean, we've talked on this show so many times about broadcasting deals. Um, we won't have time to talk about that today. I mean, that's a whole new conversation I could have with both of you on another occasion. But hopefully the FA will have had a listen at least uh, to the ideas and, and, you know, that they've perhaps got something in mind for the FA Cup. It would be certainly really, really interesting to hear their thoughts when they do make an announcement. This is Women's Football Weekly on tour. Sport 2. You're listening to the thoughts of Anna Kessel and Jane Purdom from Women in Football. If you miss any of our show, don't forget uh, we are now a podcast so you can download on Spotify and Apple products and listen whenever you want. Next, what to do about sexist and offensive comments regarding women's football. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hi, I'm Frank Kirby and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Good evening, this is the Women's Football Weekly Special. We're focusing on the organisation Women in Football and the part it plays in developing and supporting women across the sport. We've also, of course, been discussing today's breaking news that the FA Women's Super League and Women's Championship seasons have been terminated with immediate effect. Promotion and relegation, or not, still to be decided, with a range of options being sent to the FA board. But now I want to focus on women in football itself because it does some amazing work um, across uh, the, the women's game as well as any women working in, in football. Uh, Jane Purden, CEO, joins us, as does Anna Kessel, who is the co-founder and still a board member um, on WIF, and she's also women's sport editor for The Telegraph. Anna, I want to start with you because you founded um, WIF in circumstances a good, what are we talking now, 13, 14 years ago? Tell everybody how it all came about. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel old. Um, yeah, it was 2006 uh, when I started thinking about trying to pull it together a network for women in the game. Um, I was a young reporter on The Observer at the time, going out and doing football matches and uh, very rarely seeing another woman um, during match day. Um, and I just thought there was something in trying to get women together to support each other because women, you know, definitely faced a lot of hurdles, still do, um, but even more so back then. Um, and I went to the FA and met with Kelly Simmons, uh, who was very supportive, brilliant, you know, really loved the idea. But um, ultimately, when it went to the top, <laughs> uh, the FA Council, I was told off the record that the FA Council, who at the time were 91 men out of 92 individuals, uh, wouldn't feel comfortable with the idea of women getting together. Wow. <laughs> so they didn't didn't quite want to back it I know I don't know what, what they would we, we do, do. <laughs> I know I was just thinking a cup of tea and a chat but yeah I guess uh I don't know maybe maybe they sensed some sort of power in it transformative power and it, it you know and it came it came to be so the following year I was lucky enough to meet Shelley Alexander um who at the time was football focus editor at the BBC and um she just said to me, you know, this is a great idea. Let's do it together anyway. We don't need any money. We don't need backing of a governing body. Let's just do it on our on our own. Um, and so we started to gather women from across the game together, um, likes of Jackie Bass, who was working at a football club at the time, Jackie Oatley, um, Emma John, who was a, an editor. Yeah, we, we had a meeting in a pub and we said, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. And our, our first ever event was in 2007 at West Ham. We had Heather Rabatz deliver a really rousing speech to about 30 women from across the game. And, and it's grown from there. 
Yeah, I've, I, I'm a member myself. I've been very lucky to, to attend a number um, of, of the early uh, meetings as well. I think my first one was at, at Fulham, at, at, at Craven Cottage. Um, what, what was the original plan for it? What, what, did, what did you want to do? Um, I suppose at the time there was just such invisibility for women, not just the women's game, but women at all. Um, and the women who did exist in the game uh, faced such, um, you know, so much degradation. It was a time where, you know, we had um, female referees being sort of publicly called out by managers. Ugh, you know, there was all sorts of really humiliating things happening to women and it just felt really wrong. And there was no one to stand up and say actually having women in the game is a good idea and a sensible thing and they are 51% of the population, why would they not be involved in football? The really obvious conversations that we have now around gender equality and, and sexism just weren't happening back then. It, it seems crazy to say, but it, it was the truth. And so I guess it was about putting those um, conversations on the agenda, um, but also creating a, a support network and a professional network for women to come together and, and really develop yeah, you make a, you make a really interesting point there because it just wasn't on the agenda, and that in itself is is absolutely crazy. Obviously, a lot of people talked about it, but not out loud, not in a broadcast scenario, not necessarily in the papers like we see now. So when we're seeing, um, I want to discuss that the breaking news that happened today um, was touted over the weekend. We've known about you know that it was likely that the seasons were going to be cancelled and both the BBC, both BBC Sport and Sky Sports News um, put polls out over the weekend uh, getting people's opinions on how they thought the um, sporting integrity of, of the seasons could, could be kept and what should be done um, to, to conclude the seasons. And again, the comments that you read below these polls, both on social media um, and on on the BBC Sport website are still absolutely shocking. And that's a regular thing that we see regarding women's football specifically, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, hundreds of offensive and sexist messages. Um, Jane Purden, the CEO of Women in Football, what, what work are you doing to kind of try and combat this discrimination? Yeah, so I think there's two things here. There's There's comments about women's football and then there's the situation for women working in the game mm. and the challenges that they face um, and I think they need to be looked at separately if if you hear sexism, sexism at a game report it it's a breach of the ground regulations the club should do something about it let us know particularly if they don't do anything about it social media there's the reporting channels we all know about but but I agree with you it can be a tsunami and those reporting mechanisms don't operate effectively against a real tsunami like that. When it comes to the workplace, any woman who feels that she has been treated unfairly because of her gender, we're there for her. And I have to say, in fairness, you know, the, the football industry is changing and a lot of clubs very much welcome women into their workforce and they're quite kind of blind when it comes to the talent they just want the most talented people to to fill their posts so it'd be wrong to paint it as an institutionally sexist industry because I genuinely don't think it is but it does still happen and we'd be lying if we said otherwise so any woman who experiences it in her football workplace come and talk to us uh, we will offer you some kind of pastoral support, but also we can access a little bit of pro bono legal support to help you if it comes to that. And I, that's a service we've run for many years. Anna um, was one of the people who set it up. And I, I look forward to the day, Faye, when we can wind that up <laughs> you know, because it just doesn't happen anymore. And I'm afraid we're still a bit of a way from that at the moment. Yeah, we're. it's interesting you highlight the point that they should be seen as two completely separate things because women's football itself has been subject to, to these kind of comments uh, for years and years. I would agree that certainly um, within um, women working within football, there are a lot less comments nowadays than than they used to be, although unfortunately they, they are still there. And as you say, that would be amazing to not have to have that legal service because we didn't need it anymore but women's football itself faces a challenge from these um i'm just going to put it out there um prehistoric opinions from people who perhaps haven't actually watched women's football 
ever um, and just already have this this opinion. How difficult is it, Anna Kessel, to, to, to have to constantly rally against that and what else can be done? Yeah, it's it's so it's dull, qu- isn't it? It's a big question. <laughs> I just, I mean, on the one hand, you know, look, for the first, well, for so many years, we wouldn't have had Sky Sports or BBC putting out a poll about what people thought about the women's um, WSL being cancelled. There wouldn't have been a WSL. So in many ways, that's brilliant that it's now, it's kind of entering that mainstream conversation. But obviously, when you bring um, a game like the women's game, which was banned for 50 years and then ignored for probably another 30, (laughs) and it was only in 2011 that the WSL was set up, and it's only really this season, you know, with Barclays support and amazing crowds progress that they've made and, and the World Cup last summer bringing huge audiences, that for the first time we've really had that, mainstream spotlight on the game so it's I don't want to say it's understandable that these stupid comments are still happening but I suppose it's part of a cultural evolution um I guess you know a lot of the the female the women's players have grown up with this kind of culture they're they're used to having to tough it out and um we ran a piece recently with some FIF pro um council footballers talking about exactly this that you know you had to have that you had to have that resilience as a player, not just to, to make it physically as a footballer, but to get past that kind of, um, those kind of attitudes um, that you had to fight for the existence of your game, not just fight as an athlete. Um, and that women's football, this generation of women's footballers still have to have that. I suppose what's what worries me as a mum of two daughters is I don't want my little kids to have to go through that. I don't want future generations to keep going. And so this amazing thick skin that women have had for generations, I just don't want us to have to have it anymore. Um, and I, I really think that's something that we have to we have to try and change. Yeah, it certainly is changing. I mean, you know, the lionesses are a, are a fantastic uh, case in point. You know, we're now looking at, at icons in the game role models in the game which is absolutely fantastic for, for young girls like your daughters growing up. Uh, this is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Others. You've been hearing the thoughts of Jane Purden, CEO of Women in Football and Anna Kessel as well. Don't forget we're now a podcast so if you miss us on a Monday evening between 6 and 7 you don't need to worry because you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast on Spotify and Apple products. Uh, next we're going to be giving you a behind the scenes look at how women in football are helping future leaders in the game. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Women's Football Weekly with Fake Carruthers. Hi, I'm Jordan Nobbs and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. 
Welcome back to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Rothers and I'm joined by Women in Football CEO Jane Purden and Anna Kessel, founder of Women in Football, board member of WIF and Women's Sport Editor for The Telegraph. Now, we've discussed how Women in Football started from just that pub conversation with five or six women who wanted to try and change the industry and support each other. It's now grown. How many members would you say, Jane? Sorry to put you on the spot like that. How many members are there in Women in Football? No, it's fine. That's one of those figures thing, figures I have at my fingertips. <laughs> <So> we, <laughs> um, it's grown. We've got uh, just over 3,000 members. Wow. And they're women working in the game, women who want to work in the game, who are really an uh, important group, and also men who support our aims, what we call our male allies. And they're, they're super important to this conversation as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to bring that up as well, because I think the perception certainly used to be that women in football was purely for women but there are some amazing men who are pledging amazing things and helping because as you say they're allies yeah we get some incredible support from women and men across the game and it's still the case let's face it that there's more men in decision making positions within the football industry than there are women but again, when we talk to them, they completely get it. I find that when we go and talk to the big football organisations, be they clubs, be they media or broadcasters, we don't have to make the argument for change because they all get that and understand it and, and in a very heartfelt way buy into it and accept it. Where the challenge comes and the conversation they want to have is about change. We, we know we need to change. We know we, we, football is changing. How do we keep changing? How do we make this industry more open to diverse talent, not just in respect of gender, but in respect of BAME and all the other protected characteristics, etc.? Yeah, it's, it's really important. And you're doing some great work with, with regards to it. I've, I've been on the leadership courses that, that you hold. I'd love for you to be able to tell all our listeners about those because they're so important, as you say, about broadening out the people that can sit on boards, the decision makers, there are some talented, talented people out there and we need to get their skills to the fore. Yeah, so there are thousands of women who work in football. No, nobody knows exactly how many because nobody's gone out and got that data, but, but through various pieces of mental arithmetic that I won't talk you through, I reckon it could be between 20 and 30, possibly even as many as, as 40,000. And... We realise that those women, and to be fair, some men, but we're obviously we're, we're here to, to focus on women in the game, need some help to develop the personal and leadership skills that they need to take their careers forward. Not only that, again, we're talking to a game, a sport, an industry that realises it needs to develop its people too. So our leadership course, which is our kind of one of our the services and products, if you like, that we're most proud of is a, a four-day leadership course, although people can do one day, two days, and in any order that they like. It's delivered by women who work have worked in the game, so we know what it's like because we've been walking this walk for, for 10, 20 years. Um, amongst our number are some real personal development and leadership development experts very wise women <laughs> um, and it does deliver on on all those kind of softer skills that people need in order to have have a look at themselves because I think that's actually where the work is it, 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 it it's on people themselves getting them thinking about their leadership style looking at things like resilience which we've touched on um, how to negotiate, how to present your best self, common one we have with women. And some men have this too, but it's very common with women is, is how to smash that imposter, that old imposter syndrome is <laughs> telling you you shouldn't be where you are. And, and we, we know that's rubbish, but it does take help and support to, to get through that. So it's a four-day thing. With the support of Barclays, we were able to expand it to its current four-day structure. In February, we just taken it on the road to Manchester um, for the first time, which we were delighted to do and delighted to get out of London and go where football is. Um, 
And on the back of that, we also had some other events up in Manchester, because obviously the Northwest is such a massive football centre, which were fantastic. We had a, a, a kind of Chatham House rules discussion with HR directors from a lot of the big football institutions in the Northwest, Premier League clubs, league clubs, county FAs, etc. And that was great, you know, to get them in a room together and say, how, together, how are we going to do this? How are we going to attract, recruit, retain and truly nurture diverse talent. So we were just planning our next edition of this roadshow and uh, the lockdown happened. So we're really looking forward to, to getting back on the road as soon as we can with that. And you have so many other um, fantastic things going on as well. To get more on this, um, I'd like to introduce uh, member Poonam Pajathia. I really hope I've pronounced your your, your surname correct, Poonam. Um, you're on uh, the WIF's board shadowing scheme. Can you tell us a little, more, little bit more about that and a bit about your background as well? Yes, of course, Faye. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, so just by way of background a bit on me, um, so I'm um, a lawyer um, at Chelsea Football Club, um, but um, I only joined Chelsea last year and I'm sort of mid-level in my career. Um, and um, I'd been a Women in Football member for some time. Um, I'd gone to a couple of the events, but um, I saw that they'd advertised this um, shadowing scheme and it was something that really appealed to me. Um, I think a lot of women can relate um, to the fact that when you're sort of at that mid-level and you're looking at moving up um, in your career, um, you're sort of thinking about um, kind of what skills do I need? How does this work? Like, how do you influence people? Um, how do you communicate? And, um, yeah, the board shadowing scheme appealed to me because of that. And, um, yeah, one of, one of the things I felt was that I had a lot of the skills um, that you kind of need to be at a more senior level, but you, you, you needed a scheme like this to kind of understand and observe how it works and um, to see the bigger picture of how to run an organisation. And um, that's not an, an opportunity that you get that often. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been in um, board shadowing now since September, um, and um, yeah, it's been really interesting so far. Um, I've really enjoyed observing the board, um, um, looking at all the committees um, that that take place and all all the different um, initiatives that get organised, um, how how the projects are being led, um, that sort of thing. It's a real eye opener to see to see how it works at that senior level. I was going to say, what what kind of things have you learned? Because there'll be a lot of people listening who have no idea how how a boardroom works. I, I I've personally never been inside a boardroom, seen how those decisions work. What, yeah. what have you learned? Um, so I've learned that, you, that, I mean, there are two ways to sort of communicate when you're within a board. So you've got your board meetings where, um, you know, there, there are people around the room and um, it tends to be quite open. So um, everyone voices their opinion. Um, and, you know, some, sometimes people agree, sometimes they don't agree. Um, but then there's also a lot of work that goes on in the background. So nothing is ever really brought to the table as a surprise. And, you know, there are um, people who use their specialist skills. So, for example, um, on the board we have... Um, people who are more creative marketing specialists and, and it's really interesting to get their point of view on things um, and they work on specific you know strategies things to do with that and um, you know there are people with more of a legal or a finance background and it's always interesting to get their opinion on kind of how to approach things around governance and um, um, sort of more yes yeah, sort or of more um, strategic areas um, and yes yeah, so so I think, you know, you've got the board and how, how people communicate um, at that level when they're in the meetings, but there's a lot of work that goes behind scenes, a lot of conversations that are had, um, and you've sort of got to understand where each board member is coming from because everyone sees things really differently. Um, and I suppose that's the best thing I've sort of learned is just having having a board where you've got people from different industries sat together uh, to see how each person thinks of it, um, thinks, thinks of certain things and how they view uh, things differently has been a real eye-opener. Mm, just finally, Poonam, how crucial have women in football been for you and, and presenting these opportunities to people when you perhaps would not have had that opportunity anywhere else? Yeah, it's been it's been really crucial, absolutely um, amazing. Um, I think I think for me there are two things. Um, the first is um, around the network. So, um, like I, I work at Chelsea and I, I work as a lawyer, so I, I do see the people at Chelsea, um, and you know um, I, I tend to know quite a lot of people in the legal industry. But it's really interesting to meet women from all different backgrounds, and it just makes you realise. And I think a lot of women 
um, should be aware of like the number of um, career options that you have in football. So some really interesting to meet people like from the county FAs, um, people working at grassroots level, uh, women working um, in, in within governing bodies, um, within marketing and PR, um, within journalism, like presenters, commentators. So to meet such a wide variety of women in the industry has been um, really beneficial and um, like so, so such an eye-opener. Um, and then I suppose the second thing really is that um, it, it has been interesting to just um, yeah have this opportunity because I don't I don't think the the ability to observe a board um, is um, you know it, it's not an easy thing to get into um, especially if you don't have like the right contacts or you know you're very new in the industry um, so from that perspective it's um, it's been it's been really good and I think I think you know in order to get more women in in sport on the boards these schemes are going to be invaluable. Absolutely invaluable is exactly the word. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Poonam. I really appreciate it. It's Women in Football member Poonam Majithia there, um, who's on uh, the Women in Football Board's shadowing scheme currently, and she's also a lawyer um, at Chelsea. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others. You've been hearing the thoughts of Jane Purden, CEO of Women in Football, and Anna Kessel as well, co-founder of Women in Football and sports women's sports editor at The Telegraph. This is Women's Football weekly on TalkSport 2. We're here every Monday night between 6 and 7, but you'll never miss a show because we're now a podcast as well, in case I haven't mentioned it at all this evening. Uh, Just go to your podcast provider and search for Women's Football Weekly and download to have a listen. Next, big plans for Women in Football Weekly globally. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Hi, I'm Georgia Stanway and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers and I'm joined by Women in Football's CEO, Jane Purden, and Anna Kessel, co-founder of Women in Football and uh, Women's Sport Editor for The Daily Telegraph. Uh, now, we've been discussing all the fantastic things that your organisation does to support women within the game. But, I mean, it's been a really busy few years, most certainly. I, I want to talk about Barclays. They've been mentioned a few times during tonight's show. Um, they've been a big part of with for a few years now but um jane just just to you first of all how did they get involved and and decide to back women in football i i think actually anna's probably better place to answer that than i am because i think and again you're absolutely right she won't like me saying this but i think it was largely down to her but maybe of she course it was that Dude, that was it very wasn't, silly of me wasn't. i should have known that <laughs> no it really wasn't actually uh, it's funny I, I was messaging jackie oatley earlier because it was down to jackie uh not me um who got barclays involved and i was trying to remember with her um barclays had taken jackie oatley and gabby logan um for for a meal many years ago and i was trying to remember the date of the meal and i asked jackie and she said she couldn't remember which just goes to show how long Barclays have supported women in football that we actually couldn't remember. Um, but the the first sort of formal sponsorship uh, that we had from them was in 2013, which is a very long time ago. Um, but even before that, they you know they helped us set up a website and um, really helped with, with with things that we just didn't have. We were literally a group of volunteer women with nothing, no resource except the sort of coats we had on our back and the fingertips on the end of our hands to, to type. Um, so yeah, they've been a very long-standing um, supporters of ours, and and that's really grown. I think as as Jane can probably test. How much has that grown, Jane? Well, one of the ways I describe it, and I I think Barclays would say the the same thing, that maybe in the early days, I don't know if Anna would agree, women in football was a bit of a kind of CSR project for them and and a very good cause. And we are super grateful for their longstanding support, which has enabled us to, to, to get where we are today. But I think when we signed our our new deal with them, which we announced just at the back end of last year. It was a real step change. Um, And they have enabled us to expand our programme. I talked earlier about the leadership course and going out on the road and and taking the work of women in football to football, wherever it is. Um, They also work very closely with us on another campaign, which I'm sure we'll get on to talking to, um, called the What If campaign. Um, and and I, I know this is going to sound like a word about our sponsors, but I really mean this. They are great people to work with. They're, they're not just 
um, somebody who gives us money. And I'm a lawyer, Faye. I've never worked with commercial partners so closely before I came to Women in Football. But they give us wise counsel. We discuss ideas with them. They get it. They get what we're about and 100% back it. And we also sit in a kind of little nest of relationships they've got, being the title sponsor of the WSL and also a, a founding partner of the Premier League. And that's brilliant because if we want or need to have a cross-football conversation, they can help us with that. Mm. Um, and we often find that we might be working on the same thing that Kelly at the FA is working on, the WSL are working on, and we can we can, we can, can leverage that and, and make kind of bigger stuff happen as a result. So, um, yeah, they're, they're really good people to work with and they, they've sort of put us on a good footing to... Uh, to, to look at our next three years and look at our, our future growth, which is absolutely what we want to do. We, we haven't stopped yet. We've got more to do and we know that. And we'll get on to that future growth in a second, but it's as if you knew what I was going to ask when it comes to the <laughs> What If campaign. And I want to talk to Anna Kessel um, about this because, Anna, th this was a bold um, campaign and it, it stemmed, if I'm right, you, you, you connected with Twitter um, to help. I think we had the What If launch was at the Twitter headquarters, wasn't it? But, but for anybody who doesn't know what the What If campaign was, or it still is actually, um, can you just give us a little bit more um, insight into it? Yeah, so what if started out as, as a really small idea, we, you know, we knew that we wanted to roll out some kind of campaign that could have some kind of impact um, to help further um, the, the, the prospects of women in the football industry. Um, we entered a competition actually um, to work with Engine, which was at the time called Synergy, um, to win a sort of um, a pro bono marketing campaign because we didn't have any marketing resource at the time. Um, and they they got really into it. And we find this a lot with, with partners that we work with, that they genuinely connect and they become really passionate about it. And they, they tend to go over and above and get really personally involved. Um, and that's exactly what happened with Engine. And um, I'll never forget, they came in to present to us their idea for this campaign. And they said, we've kind of based it on the, the ice bucket challenge because we're hoping it might go viral. <laughs> we all sat in this little room and went, that would be nice, wouldn't it, if it went viral? Um, and the, you know... Um, but not thinking that it actually would. Um, and then, you know, several months later, when, when we launched at Twitter's headquarters, uh, Twitter got on board with it because they, they really liked the idea. Um, and suddenly, what if was trending? Um, you know, it was going global around the world. <laughs> it was just so many different partners getting involved. Even Wimbledon made a pledge, and they're not even in football. Um, they made this pledge to have their their championships that year, digital output, gender equal. So it, it just it really snowballed, and people really wanted to get behind um, how they could support um, women and what they personally could do um, to to make an impact for women. And the, the personal stories that came out of that were amazing um, sort of tracing the steps back um, at the telegraph we made a pledge inviting um four young women to come for paid work experience which is very rare as you know in the media yeah normally you have to have sort of rich parents who can fund your you know your freebie working uh for hours on end for a media organization we did paid work experience and and then seeing the development of those young women and their articles then being published in our paper was just wonderful that personal development and that journey it, it was real it wasn't just a marketing campaign it, it really impacted women's lives yeah, um, TalkSport made a what-if pledge as well to support more women in the industry. And then, of course, they went and, and supported uh, the Women's World Cup last summer, which I was lucky enough to report on as well. So these things are, are really, really crucial, these these campaigns. And what starts off in women in football as a very small idea it tends to always go much bigger than it is because you also have your own little Twitter icon. Well, that was part of the, I know. <laughs> part of the pledge. It's still there. Uh, yeah that, I love that um, is my favorite part oh it was so cool and and that's sort of testimony to to how partners get involved there's a woman called Viv Bowdler at Twitter who plays on the Twitter football team um and she was really passionate about the campaign she's also a graphic designer and she said oh what if I just create a little you know a little emoji for you and then all of a sudden it became the emoji that FIFA were using and all these huge institutions around the world so emoji was yeah. the word I was looking for I couldn't think of it <laughs> Um, Jane, I just want to um, finish by looking um, 
future-wise, you, you touched on the growth and, and what you're doing, but obviously women in football mainly UK-based, but you actually have plans to branch out internationally, I understand. Yeah, so in early March, just before events like this started to get cancelled, we had an event in Amsterdam at the offices of FIFPRO, the World Players Union, who had supported us with a What If pledge. This this came about via What If, and their pledge was to support the family of What If, and working with another What If pledger, Portas, the sports strategy consultants, we, we, we took our work and we kind of invited European football to come to Amsterdam for the day and asked them two questions, say, what are the challenges facing women in the European football industry and how can we collectively solve them? Um, and it was a brilliant day. Um, and we're now working on the next steps from that because it's a conversation that we want to keep going. Um, we know because we get asked by people from abroad for help um, we know there's a need for our work outside the UK. We know that women in European football or football elsewhere in, in the world do face challenges. I had a conversation with a woman who works in European football, and I won't name her, but I said to her before the event, I actually ran through, um, I said, this is the exam question, what are the challenges facing women in European football? And I said to her, to be honest, we know the answer because they're the same challenges as here. And she said to me, Jane, they're not, they're worse. Um, and and I kind of knew that, but I'd been being diplomatic. Mm. Um, so we know that there's more to do. We're not taking our eye off this country, though. Um, we're, we're raring to go and get our next roadshow back on the road. And we know, you know until until this football industry is genuinely gender diverse in all roles and at all levels, we won't stop. And we know there's a mound of work still to be done in, in the UK. Um, but hopefully this is organic growth and it's not going to distract us from other important work as well. Very exciting. Jane Purden, CEO of Women in Football. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Women's Football Weekly. I just want to leave the last line to, to Anna because Anna Kessel, co-founder of Women in Football, we love a bit of breaking news here on TalkSport 2 and you have some of your own for us. Oh, well, I don't know if it's breaking news, but um, yes, I've, I'm, I've decided to step down from the board um, after all these many, many years. Um, it's The organisation is now in such good hands with Jane as CEO and Ebru Kopsal as chair and, and a very talented board and, and staff as well. So it's it's time to say goodbye. Um, but I, I will be staying on as an ambassador. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that because Women in Football cannot run without you. And I'd just like to say on behalf of all the members of Women in Football, thank you for all the amazing work you've done over the years. And I'm so glad you're staying on as ambassador and will still still be associated with it because seriously, you've changed the lives of, of many women working in football and I really appreciate it. And that's the best note I could possibly leave it on. It's been an absolute pleasure having both of you on uh, Women's Football Weekly here on TalkSport 2. You've been listening to Jane Purdon, CEO of Women in Football, Anna Kessel, founder, now ambassador of Women in Football and, of course, women's sports editor for The Telegraph. Um, this has been women's, a Women's Football Weekly special on TalkSport 2. Thank you so much for being with us. Next week, we're going to be talking to pioneers of the women's game with England women's record goal scorer Kelly Smith. Women's Football Weekly. We're loving it. We're absolutely loving it. It's brilliant. On TalkSport 2. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.